Hello and welcome to the One County Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew PD, and today we're continuing our conversation with Alexis on the movie Frida. Enjoy. Yeah, earlier when you were talking about being surprised by the stars who are in it, one of the power moves, um, you can read about this, but one of the power moves that Harvey Weinstein had made was that um, Selma had to find, she had to raise a certain amount of money, but one of the stipulations was she had to find an A-list director, so she fortunately found Julie Taymor, and she had to find, I don't know, um, certain a certain number of stars to fill the other minor roles. And so she had to call in like all these different favors. I'm sure it took years just to get people on board, but that's how you got all these crazy talented people you wouldn't expect to see in this not so well-known film. And it's just really interesting that that was like part of the obstacle became part of what made the film so beautiful. As much as I, on a base level, do empathize with every human being, like Weinstein had problems beyond just being a perv. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he, something that made me so angry like when I was reading the trivia is that apparently like at an early screening, he like yelled at, yeah. at Julia Taymor and I'm just like. He has some serious stuff going on. He needs to work it, out. It's just so clear to me that like people, like when. It's just such an overused phrase. I don't want to say it, but like toxic masculinity. But like when when that comes into power, it's just like becomes so blind. <laughs> and I I don't know. I didn't like reading that. But um, no, it was hard to read. Yeah, for for, for people who don't know, like he um, j- he he generally tried to like coax her into sexual favors, right? Mm-hmm. So there was that, and then he also mandated um, like a nude scene, right? Yeah, so what happened was he he told Selma Hayek he would help her make this film. And he assumed that she would provide sexual favors along the way. Like and so he He assumed, you said? Uh he seemed to like assume it and cuz he like promised her all this stuff and she was like, "Great, I'm on board." And then like throughout the process, he would try to, you know, come into her room or get her to do this or that, whatever. You can read the op-ed for all the details. But um, one of the thing, And then all of that starts bleeding into the production process. Um, there was a situation where Julie... Uh, so the tango scene, it's pretty... Like, that tango scene is pretty cool. But that tango scene came to be because um, Harvey wanted some sort of sexual scene. And Selma Hayek didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so Julie Taymor found a compromise. She's like, how about we have this really romantic tango with a big kiss at the end... Harvey said fine. Um, but the one that made it into the film. That scene is, was awesome, by the way. Yeah, it was <laughs> really awesome. Scene. I love that scene. Um, the the one that made it into the film that just, the thing that is the most sickening is that um, Selma Hayek did not want to do the scene where um, you see Frida Kahlo and, um, shoot, what's her name? Josephine Baker. You see Frida Kahlo and Josephine Baker's relationship, which was a real relationship that happened when Frida Kahlo was in France. But, um, you know, Harvey wanted it to be a lesbian sex scene. He wanted it on screen, and some Hayek didn't feel comfortable with that. It wasn't that she wasn't comfortable um, with doing a nude scene with another woman. 
she wasn't comfortable with the fact that Harvey wanted her to do it for him. Mm-hmm. So it, all of this sexual politics rolls into the film and she was just sick and had to be heavily medicated when they shot the scene, just like all sorts I saw of that. Yeah. just um, the way, I mean, the way that it was handled just, and a lot of it was because she hadn't, the reason that she ended up in a situation like that is because she didn't know how to speak out or that she could speak out without ruining her project that she'd been working on for 14 right. years. It probably um, felt so fragile the whole time. Yeah. And she didn't want none of these other people working on the film knew and she didn't want to let all these hundreds of people down, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, you should well, read um, the op-ed. If you haven't read the op-ed, that'll clear up anything I yeah. misspoke about. But <clears throat> I'm really glad she came out with that. And oh, yeah. the, the reason I like brought it up and delved into it, because first of all, I feel like we should, <laughs> Yeah, you know, Especially if we're talking be- about the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's something that has brought the movie back actually into popularity (laughs) as people were like, Oh wow. I'd forgotten about that. You Uh know? And you know, this is just within the past year or so the me too movement and all that. But you just saying about like him putting pressure on her to like get stars and stuff. It's just like, he was a shitty boss. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yes, he did like help get Pulp Fiction made and like all these other, like all these other great great, films that are iconic. Yeah. But I just wanted to like, I don't know. I, yeah. It's interesting to see him contrasted with Julie Taymor, you know, both working on the same project. Julie mm-hmm. Taymor did all these things to bridge all the difficulties that were happening between Harvey and Selma. And it's just pretty amazing to me to see the contrast between these two people at the helm of the film. Mm-hmm. I hope to be a person who's more like Julie. Let's just say that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, like we're, it's all, it's all kind of related, but we're, we were talking about like ambition and stuff. And another quote that stuck out to me in the film, um, was I think Diego holds up this like old painting of his or something. And he's like, do you want to go back to this? And she's like, yes. And yeah. he like, he stabs this old painting of like a plant. Right. Uh-huh. And, um, I found that interesting. And, and that's sort of a, <clears throat> I guess that I, I don't think it's bad because it's, you know, they don't hang the movie on it at all. But mm-hmm. I guess that could be considered an artist movie or artist trope is like, <clears throat> it's like I get all the success and then I got to deal with the cocaine and the divorces, ah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like all these other fame problems come into play. Uh-huh. But I wanted to pick your brain about like, why do you think the days where one is struggling and modest and... uh I remember like Diego references like me- like Mexicans and Mexican culture as mules, you know, and it's the opposite of the ambition stuff in terms of like we are workers and we're, you know, this is what we do, you know. Um, but why why do you think, let's say like, why do you think Frida seems to value modesty and wasn't ambitious? Like, why do you think she was that way? I don't know. I wish I could pick her brain. I <laughs> What I love about the stabbing the it's like an aloe plant or something Uh right what i love about that is that several scenes later when trotsky and his wife are in their care and they go to see some ancient ruins they drive past this entire field of massive plants that look exactly like the one he just stabbed i didn't notice that yeah that's awesome um anyway though 
your question was what was it <laughs> i mean i'm i'm asking you i was asking you to like go inside the brain of a dead person we never knew oh right <laughs> but like yeah that <laughs> just any, any thoughts on like why the and i see this in like in, in terms of the like why is the quality of life or like sometimes the happiness better before success i guess oh okay um I think, well, if we want to talk about iconography, like, or could it just be nostalgia? Frida, I don't know. <laughs> or, yeah. Um, Frida was very rooted in her place. She'd never left mm. Mexico until, I think, that trip. Right. And right. I don't know. I, I feel like roots are really important when, mm -hmm. for anybody. Where you come from says a lot about, it's what, I mean, it's what you're made of, whether you identify with that or not. Um, where you come from is such an important part of who, who you are. And I feel like maybe in those moments when she and Diego are struggling or when her personal art is struggling or his art is struggling, there's something really powerful and really comforting about going back to your roots, going back mm. to what's familiar, something about going back to your own mythologies and your own stories that can help you find where you're supposed to go next. That makes sense. Like, I feel like even success, say, at the MoMA, like Diego getting this new show, it's like, first of all, it's short-lived. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you can't do that every month, you know? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's how success kind of is. Like, it's never this, like, marker in your life where it's like, okay, at 32, at 48, whatever it is, I, like, hit it off. And it's it's just these, like, little blips. It's never like, I made it. Timeline. Yeah. Yeah. And no matter how great and grand, like, getting this show in New York is for Diego, like, <clears throat> success and fame is still foreign. But everything about your life leading up to that moment is home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I think Frida values that sense of home more than Diego, and Diego is more mm -hmm. about... And I see myself in both of them, but I totally get Diego of, like, let's go to Detroit. That's an adventure. And I think Frida was able to see it that way too, but mm -hmm. to a lesser extent of like, we'll go to Chicago and we'll, and I, I think it's, it's not in the movie, but they were in San Francisco for some time and that had mm -hmm. an impact on her. And, um, there's like an adventure to these types of things. And I'm like doing a lot of that right now, but <clears throat> I was on the phone with my brother in Milwaukee a couple weeks ago. And I was like, cause I'm in like a temporary living, living situation somewhere else in Indiana right now. And then I was in Milwaukee for a couple of weeks and I'm going to have to go back. And then I'm just all over the place right now, um, which is fun and adventurous. And it's like, but I, I, I was talking to him on the phone and I was like, I just feel so like floating, you know, like I don't have, you know, like some of my stuff is here. Some of my stuff is there. It's like when all your stuff is in different places too, that can like make you feel weird. Yeah. But what he said in response to that was freedom is chaos. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like the the ability to, I don't know, as like, as your choices open up in success, chaos happens. Yeah. You know, it's like the limitations are good. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you say that because I was something when I was watching the film through this time around, something I was thinking about is I was thinking more about the love story than I had before. And, um, their whole love story is, as people, they're very free people. They, they both have this understanding when they went into marriage that 
You know, Diego's not gonna be good at being faithful, but they're gonna love each other anyway. Um, and I think in that freedom, there was a lot of chaos. Um, I think that in providing the freedom for each other to be who they were as individuals, they're opening themselves up to a ton of heartbreak and a ton of pain and a ton of chaos. But at the same time, they're also gaining something really huge, which is their own personal identities and then being able to really fully understand each other without having to hide anything from each other. Um, I just think it's like a really beautiful and interesting relationship. And it's really, it's really comforting to see what happens when somebody else is trying to live a free life because you can see, yeah, it's gonna hurt sometimes and it's gonna be crazy, but they make it, you know, at the end. Mm -hmm. And it's just really nice to see some people who are trying make it, you know? Right. I, don't, I don't know if that made sense, but. How old was Frida when she died again? 47? <clears throat> so it, 47. The ending of this movie is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and in talking about success and ambition, her first solo exhibit was the year before she died mm -hmm. in Mexico City. And like a mo or was it Mexico City? I don't know that for sure. Yeah. In, in Mexico. Um, she'd gotten a couple of exhibits. I don't know if they were solo or not in different places in the world like France. But her mm -hmm. first solo exhibit at home was in Mexico City. Year oh, okay. before she died, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was. You got it right. Okay. Um, no, for a second I thought that was like her first, like she had hadn't like solo exhibited anywhere else. But, I don't. I don't think she um, had solo exhibited. I know her work had been displayed elsewhere, but I don't think oh, it was okay. solo. So I think you're right. Okay, I am on the right track in that. Yeah. Like this was her first show about her. Yeah. And it was in her <laughs> honor. Her friend knew that Frida wasn't long for this world and was like, why haven't we done this yet? Let's do it before she dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it made me really reevaluate like in comparing Diego's journey and his desires and her own journey and where that finishes. Um, just like being so grateful for modesty and like smaller spaces. And that's something I preach all the time, but I still need to be reminded of it. Um, <laughs> And to think that I'm, I've been like 23, 20 or 24 years old, um, and got to like screen my movie like 12 or 15 times. Like I had yeah. like several solo exhibitions this year and like <laughs> they were, I was like very grateful for them and saw them as high points and like savored them. But, um, still it's like, you, you got to remember to take in those moments of like, I'm performing my one woman show today, or yeah. I am, you know, like doing this reading of my play or, um, I'm just giving examples of what I think you'll do in your future. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, um, you have to celebrate yourself because mm -hmm. if you're not celebrating yourself, who else is going to? Mm -hmm. I think one quote in the movie that was great was, I think Diego says to Frida early on, like, you have to learn to take a compliment as much of as of a as much as you would a critique. Yes. Yeah. And that was awesome. That was another good quote. We gotta celebrate ourselves and each other. Absolutely. Because it's healthy. Something I'm so yeah I'm so over like, and I try to override it and like hopefully inspire a couple other people to do so. But <clears throat> there's almost like a weird like 
you don't want your friends to know that you like their stuff as much as you do. <laughs> like, like all my musician friends, I'm like, oh my gosh, like so good. Like anyone I know that's a musician, I love other music and <laughs> it almost makes you more biased to like them more Yeah. because you know them and you like have this like connection with them as a friend, as an entrance into their music. That's just very warm and like familiar and lovely. And I don't know. I like when you mentioned celebrating others, like I just, I don't want to, I never want to be shy at like giving other people compliments and sharing other people's work. And like, I don't know. It's like, I, I had the thought a couple of weeks ago. It's like when my friends release albums, I should just like, make an Instagram post about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that would be seen as overboard or like weird, but like, why? Like, wh- why do we always just have to post about, I'm reading this about, but God, I swear like every f- podcast comes back to social media that we do here, but I don't know why well, we but it's sometimes such, only post about the selfish things. I feel like it's fine that your podcast always comes back to social media because that's the way in which we all connect. Like, that's the version. Yeah. That's my story that you're seeing. Like, cause I right. mean, you and I, we're, we're good friends, but we don't get to see each other or talk to each other very often. So mm-hmm. we see each other's social media and that's the story of each other that we get. Uh-huh. And whether, how much of it's true or not is really important or how much of it is deep and meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of my heart I want to share with you. Um, mm-hmm how much of that I put on social media, those are different things, so. Right, right. Because, you know, I'm more, I will celebrate my friends to their face, absolutely. But Mm -hmm. like you said, putting their thing on my Instagram post, eh, I don't know if I'm gonna do that. But why, why not? Like, I'm so happy for them and I'm so excited about it and I love what they've made, why wouldn't I do that? We definitely created our own socially structured rules for these platforms yeah, <laughs> like yeah. without anyone telling us to yeah it's very weird i'm like right now i'm doing this dumb thing where i only post something on my instagram if i've written a limerick that goes with it because i'm trying not to post so much <laughs> i'm just doing it for fun because it's funny I, but I, do, it does, I do love those it inhibits me though because there are times when i like ha- take a picture and i'm like <laughs> i really want to put this up but i honestly cannot think of anything to write so i'm just not right. gonna post it that's such a unique it's dumb. Instagram aesthetic, as they call it. <laughs> it's dumb, but it's what I'm doing right now. It's cool that it's unique, though. Anyway, that's all besides the point and tangential. The point is, we put all these rules on ourselves about social media and how we can interact with each other. Why? <laughs> uh, as a, a writer, as an artist, like, what, what was your feeling like what'd you take away from this this movie revisiting it such a big question (laughs) revisiting it this time um i was thinking about the kind of stories i want to tell because i so admire all the different artists who worked on this project um julie taymore's my favorite director i love the work that salma hayek does and just her story of trying to make it in the business um and i got to looking at all these different people the projects they've worked on and the kind of stories they're choosing to tell um are ones that might not necessarily be the big box office hit you know they didn't i mean the people, the producers of this, Harvey Weinstein or Weinstein, didn't expect Frida to get nominated for six Academy Awards. 
but it did because it, um, the people making it were passionate about the story. They were passionate mm-hmm. about every detail. They were passionate about the editing and all of the different layers of the story. And where I'm at in my life right now, um, I was just thinking about what kind of stories do I want to tell and what kind of, uh, yeah, well, I'll just leave it at that. I was just thinking about what kind of stories I want to tell and how I need to be choosy about what those stories are so that I can do them to the best of my abilities and make everything excellent. Like, I think this movie was excellent. Yeah, the, the ending where she just burns up uh-huh. was just so beautiful. And I cried a little bit. And I'm a mess every time I watch this movie. I cry like six times. Yeah, she's just... You, you really empathize with her health and her work and her relational problems and her bravery. Like, you really come to like her as a person. Um, and I'm trying to think of, like... I, I feel like I've already, like, ranted a bunch about what I extracted from the movie. But, I don't know, like, art is just a unique way to, like leave behind a legacy and mm-hmm. it's it's rare that someone can do it to the extent that Frida does but like there's just something about the image that I can't even put into words or maybe you don't even need to of like her burning up at the end yeah. that was just like it's some quote from like a Yasmina Reza play or something like or no it's Sartre I'm thinking of like different French people okay perfect <laughs> it's from so surreal it's from No Exit of course I'm yeah being existential and <laughs> There was just like a quote, um, I think it's like, you are your life and nothing else. That, that's just what I thought at the end was like, just because they bookend it with her death to like the second pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, like back to work, yeah. <laughs> back to life, back to play and love and everything. Mm. So I don't know. It was just really beautiful. What I love about that moment is... It's like such a beautiful marriage of all the things that Frida was made of. It's the, it's her illness, it's her art, the fact that it's firecrackers going off. You get this like mythic sense of the phoenix rising up. And then you have all of the Mexican like Day of the Dead. You know that she's not really gone. Her spirit lives on kind of a idea. Yeah. Yeah, I love that ending too. What a valuable ideology. Oh, Yeah. I'm, yeah. yeah, that's so good. Their Mexican culture, um, they very much believe in a place beyond where we are now. And so much of that is in her art. And so much of that's in this movie. There's like two different worlds happening. There's the reality and then there's like the highly, um, then there's like the magical realism of her paintings and her ideas and her pain. Did you see Coco? I did. My family. I love Coco. I'm so glad you saw it. <laughs> oh my god, my family. We all saw it together. We sat. It was so dumb. We had to sit in the front row of the theater. We all saw it together, and we all cried like babies because I I'm half Puerto Rican, and so even though I'm not Mexican, a lot of that Latino culture does resonate with me. So mm-hmm. um, we were all, we were all a mess. Yeah, I, w- I was, <laughs> was too. So I've like I might be one of my like top three cry movies. Like, yeah. <laughs> it really like deeply moved me and I wasn't expecting it because like I feel like people didn't talk about it a ton when it came out. Like yeah. I watched it on Netflix, I think. And um, <clears throat> I so my grandma passed away like a week or two ago and I'm going to a memorial service. I didn't service know that, on, Andrew. I'm sorry. 
Thank you. I'm, I'm going to a memorial service on Monday, and I literally think I watched Coco two years ago, and I spent more time with her because of that movie. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's like, it's so really cool. bizarre. Like, I drove her around more places. Like, one of my last photos of her is, like, I took her to the grocery store in, like, April or something, and I have that fo- photos on my phone, and... That's really cool. Mexican culture is awesome, and yeah. the art I've consumed around it has changed my life for the better. That's awesome. Oh, oh shoot. I thought of another tangent that might take a while. Do we have That's time? totally fine. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> um, since we're talking about death, um, one of the surreal moments in the, in the movie is when um, Frida is, she's, I don't know, broken up with Diego again, I guess, and she's drinking at a bar and she's approached by death. The woman in the mask who's singing... La I know this fact about her. Do you know the fact? Yeah. You want to share it? Um, let me, I'll have you share it just in case I mess it up. Okay. <laughs> the woman playing death is Chavela Vargas, who's a legend in Mexico for her work as a musician. She's also um, now known today in popular culture for being um, a lesbian who is very open about her sexuality. And it's fascinating to me that this woman who literally was one of Frida Kahlo's lovers and one of her friends um, was in the film and part of the process. So you almost get these like two generations of people who loved Frida Kahlo. You have someone who was her friend who was there. And then you have, you know, Selma Hayek, who's just like really inspired by the story and wants to make sure that story is carried on. So you see these like two generations working together to make sure that the story continues to get told and it doesn't die with the generation that knew Frida. Mm-hmm. It's just like a really cool way of perpetuating the love of a person. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's really cool. It's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> really, really old people are amazing. They are the best. <laughs> just unbelievable. I get sad sometimes, Andrew, because so much of our culture is polarized um, away, like age, ageist. In a lot of ways. Dude, like, it's it's the unwoke frontier. I'm ready for someone to woke yes. the, the ageism. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like all over that. Like today I was sitting in the chiropractor's office and this old man was complaining about, you know, young women showing their belly button and whatever. And I'm just, and I'm thinking to myself of how much of my world he doesn't know because he probably doesn't have a smartphone. And like, it's, I don't know, it makes me sad. So in moments when younger generations and older generations can come together and love something together. I'm just, yep. I'm all for it. Yep. That's something other cultures probably do better than Americans just cause in a lot of other cultures, elderly people live more with younger people, like in their family, like in Latino culture, a lot of times your whole family lives under one roof. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always the case, but sometimes anyway. Yeah. Stereotyping really old people as Trump supporters, like hasn't helped the ageism <laughs> not either. Not at all. Ugh, it's it's remember, been rough these days. Yeah, it's so rough. I, I was at Jiffy Lube or something, which I wouldn't recommend. Like this, like seventy-year-old guy was like really stressed by having two customers. Yeah, and like I, I was in line, and this guy went in front of me, and it was just it was taking really, really, really long. And on paper, like one of my worst experiences, like just waiting for an employee to do something for for something, and. Then later, I'm just like, he shouldn't be working. He shouldn't even be working. You know, like someone should be taking care of him. He shouldn't be having to work. You know, like 
the problem is not me being in a rush. It's that this man's having to work right now. Yeah. So I, yeah, I appreciate Coco and all the ideas we're, we're talking about in terms of valuing old, <laughs> old people. It's like, do we even need a new term for that? Yeah. Like, cause uh, because that term has become bad. Like el- our elders, like that's a that's a badass term. Yeah. Okay, Andrew. I think what's happening is that we need to start the wokeness about ageism. Okay. I'll start making some some memes and we'll yeah we'll get the ball let's rolling. Let's do some memes. Let's like make let's do some projects. Thankfully, Frida didn't have to deal with ageism like most tragic people that we admire, and do we admire them for dying young because we're ageist? I don't know. Yeah, that is a really good question. I mean, yeah, you think about like the 27 Club, how many of those people I think are like the coolest people ever. And I'm probably going to live. I hope that I live a little bit longer than them. But then will I be less cool? Like, I don't know. I'm down for it. I want to make more things. Yeah. I want to hang out with people more. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. The music for this episode as always you know it's coming you listen to this podcast every week you know exactly who i'm about to say dan reed his music is at soundcloud.com slash dan reed but why would you even need to go there because you hear a good chunk of his discography on this podcast um but seriously one of these days i guess i don't know check him out i i do hope dan makes some more music for us to all enjoy but in the meantime, um, this is from his collection of songs called Old and Unfinished. And when I first reached out to him about using it, I was like, maybe he won't want this uh, blast out, blasted out even more publicly. Um, I don't remember him sharing about it. Maybe he did at some point, but I was like, it's called Old and Unfinished. Does he want old and unfinished work um, used in this way? And he did, thankfully. So thank you. Thank you, Dan. And thank you all for listening. As I said at the beginning of the end, the beginning of the outro, Um, we'll be back next week with another episode. As always, enjoy your Monday. If you're listening later in the week, enjoy that day too. And when we as people say, enjoy that day, have a good day, I have no clue what we're talking about because no matter what I say, you're going to have to do what you got to do. But I don't know. Take a deep breath. Take care of yourself. Mm. Um, (laughs) I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hit stop. Enjoy your week. (laughs)